to a girl with green eyes to satisfy Ching Dai, a girl brave enough to embrace the naked blade. And when I find her, I will marry her. Never! Then Ching Dai will be happy and my curse will be lifted. You can go off and rule the universe from beyond the grave. Indeed! Or check into a psycho war, whichever comes first, huh? Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen, and it's a show where we talk about movies, and specifically, we talk about a movie that at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis. This is episode number 117, and our movie this week was the 1986 John Carpenter-directed Big Trouble in Little China. And joining me to talk about it, because he had never seen it before, is Phil Keating. Phil, how are you? I'm all right, Travis. How are you doing, man? I am I am doing okay. Uh, it's been a hell of a week, but I got to watch a movie that I adore, and now I get to talk about it for the next hour or so. So yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's getting better. It only took me uh, it only took me thirty five years to actually sit down and watch uh, watch Big Trouble in Little China. After many people have tried to push this movie upon me, <laughs> uh, many people have hyped this movie as one of the greatest staple classics of the eighties. It was you, Travis. You are the one that got me to sit down not once, but twice to mm. watch Big Trouble in Little China. Well, luckily, I will use my power for good and not evil. So, uh, so 1986, John Carpenter directs it. Stars Kurt Russell, um, which they had already worked together on Escape from L.A. or no, Escape from New York, uh, The Thing, and Elvis was before that too. They did Elvis in 79, The Escape from New York was in 81, The Thing was 82, and then I think they worked on, again on Escape from L.A. a few years later. Right. Um, but now, how is it that you didn't see this already? How did you go this long and just not even like accidentally run into it? It's such a cult classic. I, I feel like you, you said a lot of people have tried. What made you resist watching it until now? I'm not an action person. Okay. Never have been, never was. 80s action just seems so schlocky and, <laughs> and just so over the top. And literally, it's been in the last couple of years that I've seen a lot of these classic 80 action films. Like Die Hard I saw for the first time like five to ten years ago. Lethal Weapon 1 and 2. Um, Terminator. There's like a lot of these big action movies that I've never seen. Because I would always rather go towards, you know, the, the comedy sides or even the dramas. You know, that's where my, my taste is, especially when you put the two together for a, a dark comedy. That's my, that's my bread and butter. So Kurt Russell always just ran like that cheesemo factor and mm -hmm. just always stuck away. Um, and it really was when, when I f first saw The Thing with these two, uh, probably about five to eight years ago, I was like, holy moly, is this really what I've been missing this whole time? <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I started really just kind of taking suggestions from friends and, and slowly dipping my toe into 80s action. And 80s action is kind of its own brand of action, too. Uh, it really, there's a, there is a over-the-top cartoony nature to a lot of the action, or... I don't. There's something about an '80s action film for me uh, that that sets it apart from others, and it makes it endlessly rewatchable. A lot of those you mentioned, Die Hard. You mentioned, although I would say the Terminator is probably 
when I covered it for this show a while back, it's more horror than than straight up action, but it definitely has action set pieces. Um, Lethal Weapon, uh, my favorite buddy cop film of all time, which is Running Scared. Uh, I will defend uh, I that movie. Turner and Hooch, but yeah, all right. Scared, <laughs> that, that's a good one. Well, you know, you got Billy Crystal and Gregory Hines. They had yeah. like perfect chemistry. Uh, Turner and Hooch is is close though. Um, but there's something about those movies that you you just Commando is another one where Commando is basically a video game. Uh, and, and, and still, like I still haven't seen a lot of these, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I haven't seen T two, haven't seen Commando, um, uh, Predator. Uh, what's what's the one with the Demolition Man? Like, there's these staples that I still haven't seen. And, uh, you know, we'll get to them. We'll get to them at some point. But, uh, you know, baby steps. Because I didn't like Lethal Weapon 1. I, I, mm-hmm. I despise Lethal Weapon 1. Right? Uh, Busey was the best thing about it. <laughs> um, even that, like, that, oh, God, even that cheesy fight scene at the end uh, with the fire hydrant. <laughs> but it was, it was Bill from uh, Run, Jump, Stomp. He's like, hey, look. One, not that great. You got to watch two. Two Mm -hmm. is good. And I was like, dude, I don't know. One was pretty bad. He's (laughs) like, listen, sit down, watch two, see how it goes. I guarantee you're going to love it. And you know what? I took the time uh, because I trust Bill. And uh, God, he was right. Number two was a lot better than one. It it was. Now, you watch Die Hard. I'm, I'm hoping that you liked that one. Um, of course, it's it's now a, a yearly staple uh, come December. Well, that's good. And if you like Die Hard, you probably will like Predator because it's John McTiernan as well. And McTiernan and action, that guy is just a, a, a master class in directing action films. He he gets pacing just perfectly. Now Carpenter, this was him dipping his toes into more action. Although he had done he had done some action with Escape from New York, um, he was more known for horror. I would say, especially at this point, because at this time he had done Halloween. Um, he would have done The Thing. Uh, Christine, I think. Yes, he did Christine. He was, was at this point. So he was he was probably more known for horror. But what I like about Carpenter... Now, I'm a big John Carpenter fan. I like almost everything he's done, even the weird stuff like Prince of Darkness and, and In the Mouth of Madness, which are just zany, like way out there. He doesn't take himself too seriously. John Carpenter can make fun of John Carpenter in his movies, and I love that. It's one of the reasons why Escape from L.A. I don't hate, even though I know objectively it is not a good movie, because it's basically him saying, look, they wanted me to make a sequel to Escape from New York, and they gave me a bunch of money to do it, so I'm doing it, but I'm going to make fun of myself the whole time. And, and I, I always skipped it, because everyone told me, like, it's not worth your time. Um, mm-hmm. and I, don't get me wrong. I mean, Escape from New York... It's fun. Uh-huh. It's fun. I'll, yeah. You know what? I'll just yeah. end there. It's, it's a fun movie, right? Uh, especially with the, with the whole big, uh, was it Isaac Hayes? Yeah. Was the, was the big bad with his, his, his car with the chandeliers on, on the ends of it? Yes. Great. Hilarious and fun movie. But, like, I've only seen it twice. I don't have a, a reason to see it one more time. Um, right. So, you know, I always skipped L.A. because I never just saw the point of uh, – of dipping into a movie that's not as good right. uh, obje- as, as New York. And I didn't care for New York too much. And that's, that's perfectly fair. Now that's, but wh- where I'm driving is that you can kind of see what John Carpenter is doing here. So I did a little bit of research and I've seen this movie several times, but I've never really like dove into it that far. I've just always enjoyed it. Um, the script for this actually started off as a Western 
and you can see that you can see the the structure of it and you know it would have been jack burton riding into town on his horse and then his horse gets kurt, stolen type but, of thing but not only that at some point kurt russell takes on this john wayne-esque <laughs> persona but like a slight like john wayne accent during mm-hmm. some of his dialogue oh yeah which was funny because like the first time that i watched this i was like what Hold on, what what are we doing here? What what are like literally, guys? What are we doing here? And then on the second run through of the film is when I had the, the the second screen up and I read that and I was like, okay, well, yes, that obviously makes sense. You have Jack Burton coming into town, you know, on his lone uh, pork chop express, uh, you know, coming into a, a a land that he he's been in before but doesn't know as well as as the locals do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, starting life as a, as a Western, it becomes what it is, but this movie does not like it's played straight. It's played earnestly, but it's not serious. It is, it is very like, there are even moments within the movie where they're rolling their eyes at themselves. Um, one of my favorite moments, and I laugh every time I see it is the, there's the character of Gracie law, who's played by Kim Cattrall. All of her line deliveries are ridiculous, first of all. Like, all of them are like... And and you can... At first glance, you would look at that as just poor acting. And then as I watch it more, I realize, no, she's doing this on purpose. Like, she's purposely putting this character out. That's how it feels to me. Maybe some of that is nostalgia. Maybe some of that is just, I like this movie so much. But it feels like it was a conscious choice to, no, I'm going to make this character annoying and look like a poor character. So, all right, Travis, I'm going to be honest, and this is going to hurt uh, maybe you. It might hurt a lot of your your listeners. The first time I watched this movie, I hated it. <laughs> um, I was so confused. I didn't know who this movie was, was made for. Um, I felt ashamed of myself because, like, everybody loved this movie, and here I am, you know, watching it 35 years later, like, oh, man, it just doesn't live up to the hype because, like, I was confused. I was confused about were they going in trying to make this schlocky movie and just be weird and silly, or were they trying to do their best job to tell a martial arts uh, storyline movie and it just came off differently? And and then I started struggling with my own point of view where it's like, well, hold on, would this have hit Philip in the 80s or 90s a little bit differently than Philip in 2020? And I, I just literally, like, on the couch, I'm having this existential <laughs> crisis of, like, oh, my God, this is everyone's favorite movie. I have to go on the show in a couple of days and be like, yeah, it didn't live up to the hype that everybody, you know, thinks it is. And then I sat down and I watched it again today. And I only finished about a couple hours, uh, like, literally 20 minutes ago. And it hit me in such a different point of view, mm-hmm. in a different light, because I already had that you know, that one run through. Yeah. And for me, uh, it really hit hard the second time when I realized this is just a D and D campaign. <laughs> this is a one shot D and D campaign. That's a great way to put it. Bosses and a big bat at the end. And once I had that point of view of like, okay, yeah, here's your barbarian. Here's your wizard. <laughs> here's, you know, here's your bard. Everything kind of just like the, the planets aligned inside my brain. My, my weird lizard brain, and it started to work. And then all these crappy, you know, uh, bits that are in the movie just started, like, just clicking in line for me. And it was just a totally different experience. And, and I fell in love with it so hard, and I can't wait to actually 
maybe even sit down and watch the extras on Blu-ray. Oh, that's that makes me happy, and I completely get it too. Not only did you not understand the movie the first time through, but really they didn't either in such a way. Like Kurt Russell had said in an interview somewhere, he didn't even know how they were going to market this. And that's part of why it became a cult classic because it kind of bombed at the box office. Um, It was made for about $25 million as the estimated budget. It made 11. Uh, And part of that was it came out the same year as Aliens, like a week before Aliens. So... Aliens comes out and just sucks all the oxygen out of the room. But they didn't know how to, like, the studio didn't know how to promote the movie because you promote it as a martial arts film. Well, in the mid-'80s, a martial arts film in U.S. theaters, that's a tough sell. But do you promote it as an action film starring Kurt Russell? Well, yes, but it kind of isn't that. But you can't really promote the comedy aspect of it because it doesn't quite have, it's like it's, it's not an 80s comedy. It, it was a weird movie. So it, it's almost like the textbook definition of what a cult classic needs to be, which is something weird that doesn't work at the, at the first try. But if you can give it that second try, something is going to click and it's going to work. It's such a weird cult classic that they had to get W.D. Richards to punch <laughs> up the script who is the director of Buckaroo Banzai. Like, yes. you don't have a weird cult classic phenomenon uh, and, and not have WD tied to your to your project. Yeah. Yep, that is a good point. Um, so the moment that I was going to mention where the movie's rolling its eyes at itself is you have Kim Cattrall doing all this, but then her friend, uh, played by um, Kate Burton, Margot, who's basically in the movie to spout some exposition. <laughs> And what I love about it is she starts spouting exposition and the camera cuts to Kim to to Gracie Law literally rolling her eyes at the and and then Jack uh being like, Wait, who the hell are you? Like yeah, it's yeah. where did you even come from? It's so and those are the types of things that once you kind of wrap your head around what this movie is, it ma- it's it makes it so much better to have all of this. Like uh the, it, there's and there's weird stuff, like there's weird creature effects for no reason whatsoever. The, the strange monster thing that grabs Gracie Law at one point. Yeah, well, well, hold on. All right. I, I didn't think we were going to get there this quick, but, like, uh, nice prequel reference to Harry and the Hendersons. Like, <laughs> who, who saw, like, first off, right, the statue moves in, and your first point of view is like, well, everyone else is leaving. I'm going to lean in just a bit to see yeah. what's going on because I'm not ready to, qu- like, fully leave this dungeon yet, <laughs> right? And then, you know... Uh, a Sasquatch comes and takes, and uh, literally, like first viewing of this, I was like, "Oh, come on, come <laughs> on, what, what the hell is this?" And then, and then a beholder comes out of nowhere. To come, yep. Come like I'm telling you, it's a D and D campaign, right? You have a bugbear stealing people. You have a beholder somewhere deep in the dungeon <laughs> spying on the party. And then, literally, like at the end, you have a crappy uh, uh, castle gray skull sitting up on an escalator. Like you can't get better homemade, D- you know, homebrew D and D than this. Oh, it, it, that is such a good way to put it. I didn't ever think of it in those terms, but you're absolutely right. You even had like the weird random monster that pops out. And that's that moment's great where it's just Egg Shen is like, you will come out no more. And Jack Burton's like, what? What will come out no more? <laughs> yeah, they, they accidentally triggered a trap that, that the <laughs> wizard uh, had, had the, the spell to keep it at bay. He had a hold person ready. To hold <laughs> oh, it's just, it's so, 
so out there and zany. And we, we've mentioned Kurt Russell as Jack Burton. Now, you you brought up the John Wayne thing, and you're right. He has that kind of, he gets a little John Wayne-ish in his line deliveries. What I love about Jack Burton as a character is he is completely useless. He is, yep. he he's billed as the, the star, he's billed as the hero. In fact, the whole opening thing with the lawyer and Egg Shen where he's, he keeps saying, leave Jack alone, that was added on after the fact. The studio wanted that as a way to make Jack seem like more of the hero. Because he really ends up, he's, he's the sidekick throughout the whole thing. It's really Wang Chi that is the hero of the story. And he's driving out. Dennis Dunn. And I, I really, really like that because Jack is just, he spends most of the time not doing anything, either semi on purpose, like the scene where he goes to reach for his boot knife and flings it off to the side and just disappears to hop back out. Like he's, he's, he's literally my favorite comedy trope, which is the confident idiot. Right? Yes. Mm-hmm. He's, he's kind of like Job from, uh, from uh, Arrested Development. Yeah. And there's, there's that scene at that final fight scene where uh, the gun goes off, right? And, and all the rocks land on his head. And like I was like, oh, please, keep him knocked out for the entire fight because that would be hilarious. Like you're all your end battle and your quote-unquote hero is knocked out at the wheel mm-hmm. would have been so good. But yeah, man, there was just some questionable times where you have uh, Jack Burton just being – just literally being a fish out of water. Mm-hmm. And and it works perfectly. Like even in that fight where he gets knocked unconscious, he gets back up, and then he spends the second half of the fight with somebody laying on top of him. Yeah. And he yeah, it takes yeah. everything he's got. Right. He's he's got the the boot knife, right? Yeah. And and then like oh like the guy slumps over dead on him, and he's just like, oh jeez, I didn't really think this through. Like now <laughs> what? Now like. I, I can't twist my body anywhere. So I guess I'll just, uh, I guess this is my new life. And I'll just, start a family here and just yeah. wait until I starve. Yep. I mean, the only thing he does in the entirety of the movie is he gets to finally pay off the, it's all about the reflexes. And, and dex checks, very important. This is true. This is very true. And that, that I feel like that was being tried out as a catchphrase because that's, they, they used it three times. Um, and it was it was great. Like Jack Burton is such a fun character because he's just this lovable idiot. Uh, the whole scene where he's on the phone with the insurance company is. <laughs> oh, God. I I'm pretty sure most of that was was probably ad libbed by Kurt Russell. It feels like it was. Uh, and then when he goes into the brothel, like as <laughs> oh God, it's clean cut. I was like, oh, God, I need that jacket, and I need those glasses right now. Yes. Because I have a cosplay when I go to Dragon Con this year. Do you think, was that his jacket from Used Cars? Did he just, like, get that from that movie and wear it on the set? I, I, I really I, hope I it was. I, I want it, it. Well, you know what, Travis? It is now. Okay. Uh, <laughs> there, there's no proof that it's not, and we have just made that connection uh, because you're right. Holy moly, I haven't thought about Used Cars in 20 years. Oh, but yeah, he's just he's he's so so perfectly cast, and he almost didn't do it. They the rumor was that they were going to have I think it was Clint Eastwood at one point the studio wanted. Um, now this was and before I forget I want to mention this this was the last studio movie John Carpenter did for a while. He uh, he had enough interference in this one and enough kind of them telling him what they wanted that his next two movies um, were Prince of Darkness and I can't remember what the other one was. Yes, They Live. Both of those were independent. 
Um, he basically was like, screw this. I, I'm tired of having studios tell me what to do. Um, and I'm fine with that. But I also am really, really glad that he fought for uh, Kurt Russell to get in this because they work so well together. They do. They do. Um, the other rumor casting-wise that I, I heard that was interesting to me, and I actually believe it, most of the time when I'm reading trivia, especially somewhere like IMDb and I see casting trivia, I don't buy it, right? Because it's almost always like, well, Sylvester Stallone, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Kurt Russell were, were up for this role. Like for basically anything made between 83 and 2003. But the character of Wang Chi, originally, as the rumor goes, uh, Carpenter wanted Jackie Chan. Oh. Now, the reason that I buy it is at this point in Jackie Chan's career, he would have done uh, Police Story. He would have, And I, I think that was the movie that Carpenter really kind of saw and wanted him from. But he had been doing quite a bit, and he was starting to get into some American films. And so I buy that like Carpenter could have seen that or somebody could have told him about it and he checked it out and he wanted him, but the studio didn't the studio. I th and the thing that I heard was that the studio was worried that his English wasn't good enough. Wasn't good enough to carry the film. Yeah. I can, you know what? I can see that completely. And that's, and, and it's not a knock on Dennis Dunn because I think Dennis Dunn was great uh, in the movie for what it was. There's, there's a part of me that wants to see uh, 1986 Jackie Chan in this movie because just his charisma, I think would have been a lot of fun, but you have so much charisma from Kurt Russell and the man we haven't even talked about yet, which is James Hong as David Lopan, um, that you almost don't need him. But, uh, okay, James Hong. This is, <laughs> this is the movie that I think of when I, when I hear the name James Hong. Uh, it, He's my favorite character in this whole movie. Oh, like, David Lopan in a wheelchair. Like, when he's looking exactly... That is how I feel on a daily basis. <laughs> which I never knew until I sat down and, like, literally, it was like, there there I am. That, that, that is how I feel. Just decrepit, uh, veiny, with long, gross hair and fingernails. Like, that is the monster that lives inside me. And it's funny because, you know, I do have a D&D &D podcast, and one of our cast members played a, uh, a monk called David Highpan, right? And everyone's like, oh, that's a great joke, great joke. I've never seen Big Trouble in Little China. You know, that season was f four years ago. I have, So now this whole new level of my own <laughs> show has been unlocked because of uh, because of the, the, the three hours that I spent watching this movie twice. Oh, that's great. He's great. He's, he's wonderful. You know, it, it. they always say that you connect with characters in certain ways, but that's not the part of the character I would normally associate somebody connecting with. So that's great. Um, but what I loved about this was like, so James Hong, first of all, this guy has had an amazing career and he's been acting since the fifties. Um, he's still acting today or within like the last year or so. He, he does voice work. He does, uh, he plays just about anything you want. What I liked about him was this was in a period of time in his career where he could play, anything from kind of a, a early to mid forties aged character on up to the super old man with the right makeup. He could play all of those. He could do so much with his voice. So for him to play this David Lopan, who has different forms, right? We actually, yep. we see a total of three cause we see old man in the wheelchair who is by far the most fun version of it. Right. Cause he's just <laughs> he's a crude, crude little old man. Yeah. And then he's, you have the he's a goblin. 
Yep. He's the it, Goblin King. Oh, he absolutely is. Then you get yeah. the uh, the the seven foot tall version of him with the eye makeup and the long the long pinky fingernails. He's got the Coke fingernail going. Coke fingernails. Yep. Um, and his his weird like his magic came by crossing the fingernails and then moving his thumbs like joysticks. <laughs> like, well, you know, ah, I see your Schwartz is yeah. <laughs> Literally the first thing that popped out of my mouth. But you're right. He's playing his his avatar like it's a like it's a joystick. Yeah. Which is funny back in 80, you know, 80, 86. Yeah. Yep. I guess the, the, the NES would have been out by then, but yeah. Um, and then there was actually a third one. I don't know if you caught it or not. Uh, he shows up as they're first entering the uh, alleyway with the truck. Um, they drive by and you just get a quick shot of James Hong in a third different look, looking up and watching them drive past. So next time you watch it, pay pay attention to that. The it's just a quick shot of somebody um, looking up as they drive past. Interesting. No, I missed that. Uh, I was too focused on literally them trying to fit an eighteen wheeler down <laughs> a side road of Chinatown, San Francisco. Yeah, which was definitely shot on a set. Um, oh, but but a beautiful set nonetheless, because once they they encounter the three. Mystics and David Hyde, oh, sorry, David Lopan, <laughs> and then run around, you know, back to the fight scene and have the 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 three mystics, you know, that that almost three sixty shot of the entire set. It was it was wonderful. It was it was a really a good rundown um, scene that they had there. Yeah, they built some beautiful sets for this. That one, and then the the big like weird neon skull castle set thing at the end of it were were brilliant and i know i know why they did that there was no way they were going to be able to shoot that first action scene in an actual location um no at all and those were your two big fight set pieces were those two sets and they just did such a good job with them like it felt like that felt like an actual alley in a city even oh, though i know it was but a set like i know it was on a back lot it just felt like that they they built it well See, see, I work for a farm, so like driving big box trucks and big uh, flatbeds <laughs> is what I deal with. So like the panic of them driving that little eighteen or that big eighteen wheeler down that alleyway <laughs> was so nerve wracking for me. Um, but I mean, yes, they built that set. But I'm pretty sure that that final fight scene, there was an escalator in there uh, that was filmed at a local mall. Uh, probably the same one that they did uh, Stranger Things in. I'm going with that. You can't prove <laughs> wrong. Um, so that was, that, oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Just having that escalator feed, uh, you know, directly into the mouth, the mouth of Castle Grayskull. Yeah. It was certainly a mall. So that was a scene I actually was watching an interview with James Hong talking about filming that scene and how frightening it was for him because that escalator was real. He was wearing like 12 inch lifts to play oh. that version of the character. And he had the long gown that he was wearing. Yeah, the, the, yep. They didn't. And, and. This movie was shot very quickly, um, in part to get it out before The Golden Child, which was scheduled to come out in December of 86 and had a very similar um, feel and kind of tone like uh, as far as like the, the, the storyline um, with it being Chinese-influenced and magic and, and kind of all of that. Not, not the same type of movie, but like basically Carpenter was like, we gotta get my, I got to get my movie done quick because I want it to come out How before that. Because what are the odds? Chinese mystic uh, storylines. Right. You know, um, and two dropping on the same year. That's Yeah, when there hadn't oh, probably been anything like that in, you know, 20 or 30 years. 20 years, yeah. And, and so Hong was saying that they were, it was on the day they were going to shoot that, that scene, and 
John was like, all right, we got to do this. You got to do it now. He's like, Can, can't we wait for the, the stunt double? No, we don't have time. Go ahead and do it. So he's like, I look menacing in that. I'm scared completely out of my mind because it's a real escalator. <laughs> and oh man, that just oh, it makes me, my skin crawl just thinking about it. Cause you get that, those long, that long gown caught, it's over. You're done. Yep. Like uh, yep. that's it. And, and if you're wearing, you're wearing, you know, literally stilts on top <laughs> yeah. of an escalator. Oh. Ugh. I have enough trouble with escalators flat footed. I don't want to think about doing it in a foot, you know, a lift of a foot. Oof. Nope. But, um, yeah, it, so production design on this is really good. I really, there's a lot to like about this movie um, it's from, from so many different angles. And if I don't mention it, I will forget, and I have to. Al Leong is in this, who, you being newer to the 80s action scene, you may not know who Al Leong is, but you will see him in every 80s action film you watch. It is a contractual obligation of every film that was made that if it had a henchman in it, this guy had to be in it. He was, he was the guy, the first one that Jack sees in the rearview mirror with the big butcher knife and the huge mustache. Yep. That's out. No, no, that's, that's Genghis Khan from uh, Bill and Ted's excellent uh, adventure. Yes, it is. He was yep. in die hard. He was any action movie. You cast Ali Young, He was there and he, you always saw him. So I have to point out every time I see him, I mean, double dragon, uh, die Hard, I, I mentioned Lethal Weapon, he was in that. Um, didn't matter if the gang was supposed to be a, an Asian gang, if it was a he bunch was of wearing, Germans. He was wearing the, the, the bandolier, right? Yeah. In, uh, yeah. No? He, no, that was a different guy, He, but he had the butcher's knife. Okay, yep, yep, the big <laughs> menacing butcher's knife that you bring yes. to every back alley fight. <laughs> I love the back alley fight because you've got one half. It starts off as just a big shootout. And then they're like, all right, I guess we're out of bullets now, so we'll just fight hand-to-hand. And, and then it's, you know, one half has swords and butcher's knives, and the other guys have staffs. And <laughs> it's just this ridiculous fight. What, what is it? Is this a parade? <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Are you used to being in other cities that have uh, back alley parades? <laughs> yeah. Jack, is, is, this, is this normal where you're from? Like, literally, there's a picture and flowers and a casket. You think this is a parade that's going on? Okay. Uh, Jack is so out of his element for this entire movie. It's it's just great. <clears throat> Which is why he's he's perfect for Gracie Law. Oh, he is. He he really is. But literally, let's let's touch on that that back alley fight scene. Yes. Like it's pretty pretty good, but it's pretty brutal at the same time. Oh yeah. Limbs being ripped, like literally bones being broken, to people's mm-hmm. faces being smashed into brick walls. And just a little over-the-top absurdity. Um, but gosh, man, I, I dug it. I dug it a lot. And it needed that. It needed to go that, like, one extra mile to fit the, the rest of the tone of this movie, which is it, we're going we're gonna to do a, a nice-looking fight, but then let's just make it that much more ridiculous. Yeah. And, and it worked. Um, I love, the like, a lot of the choreography and a lot of the, the moments in that fight uh, are great. And honestly, I like the... Um, uh, I think it's the Chang Sing, uh, their little hand gesture that they would do to each yeah, other. Yeah, with the, 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 the one-up. Uh, for whatever reason, like, that's something I wish would have caught on as, as a greeting. For, and, and in this age of social distancing, it's perfect. You don't I have to get too close. I always go with the life of Brian, upside-down fist to the side of the head. But that's yeah, a good I one. Mean, yeah. But, I mean, yes, this fight has to be ridiculous because it crescendos. 
with three <laughs> wizards yes. dropping out of nowhere with uh, wicker uh, laundry baskets on their heads mm-hmm. and having three different wild abilities. Oh, and also one of them is Raiden. So enjoy that. Yeah, well, and and I do believe that was the inspiration for Raiden, um, oh, was the, the character of Lightning. He was played by James Pax. Uh, you had Peter Kwong and Carter Wong as Rain and Thunder. They're great. The three storms are awesome because they're just kick it out, go to 11, make it stupid. And I loved every second of it. They have their, their different weapons. I love the, uh, the spinning fork thing that lightning had for no reason. I loved, and my favorite were the bear grabbers, the hit, the the metal. Oh yeah. Yes. (laughs) Oh, like that's something my grandmother could have used, you know, in the kitchen when she wanted to get some spices off the top rack. Right. Which, and later on, he's got swords, so I don't know why he even had those in the first place. Well, um, you know what? Oh, God. I'm, I, I would have to guess they got stolen because they're so awesome that you just can't keep your eye off them. It's true. And then you're right. It crescendos with those three getting introduced, followed by the introduction of actual David Lopin as he drives through him or over him or whatever. I do feel like if this were made today, that would have had a little bit better look to it. Um, that actual moment where he gets hit by the truck and then appears behind it instead of just suddenly he's standing back there. But I don't think I'd like it as much if it didn't look slightly cheesy the way that it does. Like, sure, that's what sells this movie is the practical effects on everything. And it just, I just love it. Uh, again, you get low pan and he, he gives his like weird screaming wail and blinds, blinds Jack right away. And they're, and and then they run off, and there's kind of a cool, like, long tracking shot going through yes, the alley. But, but also, the cure for uh, Lopan's blindness is alley puddles. Yes. Like, just very dirty alley puddles. And only, oh, like, yes. two splashes. Oh, I'm good. Just a little yeah. bit. There you go. Oh, that, that's all I needed. My eyes were just dried out. <laughs> yeah, well, the parasites uh, eat through the, the curse mm, of right. Lopan. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so then Jack spends the rest of the movie. He wants, he, all he wants is his truck back. And then he gets it back, and he's like, my keys. <laughs> oh, wait, I've got a spare. And it was very Lebowski. Like, it really holds the Jack together, you know. Uh, I just want my, my truck, man. Uh Which was funny, but gosh, man. Yeah, yeah, and that whole scene, like, don't you have a spare? It's just like. Oh, you're, oh yeah. yeah, you're right. Yeah, they're right here. It's under the... Oh, yeah. Oh, great, great. <laughs> yes, Phil, Phil in the chat is right. This movie goes out of its way to constantly remind you to it's not to be taken seriously. Uh, I, I, I can't believe I missed that the first time I watched it. Because, uh, well, I, yeah, I mean, if you don't quite know what to expect, I, I can see that happening because, again, it's not... It goes out of its way to make itself not be taken seriously, but it's played earnestly. It's... There isn't like a wink to the camera for quite a while into the movie. So, so, and that, that works for it, but it also worked against it because I have to wonder how many people have seen this movie and had the same reaction that you had for the first time and didn't go back, didn't take the time to, oh, it's only an hour and a half. Maybe it wasn't that bad and, and check it out again. Um, and then kind of have that realization, right? Like you needed, you needed that second, uh, that second viewing in order for this conversation to be going the way that it is right now, uh, instead of it being like, "I hated this movie. Why did you make me watch it?" So, hey, I know I picked this movie, but I hate you, and I hated this movie. <laughs> yeah, and Phil saying he watched it when it was new and he didn't get it either. I mean, 
I didn't get it the first time I saw it, but I was probably like eight years old the first time I saw this movie. Uh, and see, that's why, and, and I said that earlier, like I was worried that, you know, I missed the boat because, you know, it has been out for 35 years and I never saw it until, you know, I was, you know, today. Mm -hmm. but, but thankfully, you know, with the realization that it's just one big D&D &D campaign really, uh, really brought, brought it home to me. You know, and, and this is also a movie that could have gone in a very wrong direction. It could have been, uh, it could have not aged very well. Correct. It could have aged very poorly. And, but and it, nothing was ever really focused on uh, the issue of like, hey, you have Kurt Russell, a white guy getting thrown into uh, Chinese culture that he has nothing or no idea about. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes, it was it was set in in the, the underground Chinese mystics of uh, Chinatown, San Francisco. But it's a it's a set piece. It's not really, you know, talked about more than just the character lines. Yeah, um, yeah I, I think there was only one time that they talked about the, you know, the difference of race, which was in the beginning scene during the, um, oh, the bottle, the, 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 bo the bottle game. And yeah, that was it. Yeah, and even and even that, like, it's not that bad. I, it, no. there, and it didn't fall into the trope. It felt like they were they were making this movie to make a point of we're not going to follow the trope of kind of a white savior. Even, even Gracie law is looked at by everybody as like, oh, she's just pointless and, and dumb and she's trouble and we don't want her around, but she keeps sticking her nose in to where it doesn't belong. And you know, it ends up getting a, a good result, but really it's, it's about uh, egg Shen and Wang Chi, um, you know, kind of driving the bus uh, 100%, literally. sometimes literally. Um, so yeah, I and and I like that about this movie because it, I always worry in a movie that th this age, how how does it age? Because I recently I have talked about um, on some other shows, Short Circuit, um, oh, and Murder by oh. Death, and <laughs> you know, there's what's funny is for me the parts of Short Circuit that don't age as well are Steve Gutenberg and not um, not Fisher Stevens, surprisingly. Um, although I totally understand the, the problems with Fisher Stevens in that movie. Um, but also, uh, murder by death is another one I've talked about recently that could have aged really, really poorly. Um, and it, it has in certain aspects, but if you think about it in its context, it, it works a little bit better. This is one that just doesn't even need to be thought about in that context. It's just all these characters are played really, really well and really straightforward. Uh, and that's yep. what I like. Nobody's a caricature except for Jack Burton. Yep. Jack Burton becomes the caricature. He's an idiot and he's just full of bravado, but he can't do anything. Uh, even Gosh darn, does he look good in red lipstick, kind of. Boy, uh, oh, that's such a uh, a wonderful tongue-in-cheek moment where he's yeah. he's delivering this big line. He's got lipstick smeared all over his face and his teeth. And on his teeth? Yeah, <laughs> on his teeth nonetheless, yeah. Um, uh. But yeah, it... it it's just everybody from Dennis Dunn to James Hong, Victor Wong. We haven't even mentioned is Egg Shen. Uh, we mentioned the character a couple times, but Victor Wong um, is another one of those actors that when he pops up in something, he's like a James Hong. Where when I see him in something, I'm like, I'm in for some fun. Something's going to be good here uh, because they just have this presence. James Hong has a presence about him, and I've seen him now do uh, you know dramatic. I've seen him in uh, Blade Runner. He's got a great. He steals his scene. And he's only in the one scene. Um, his his voice work has been great. Like just everybody, uh, up and down. Even you know Dennis Dunn. I I don't remember him from much else. 
And it's kind of surprising because after, you know, every time I watch this, I think oh, he should have been in more. And I know he worked with um, uh, Carpenter again the next year on Prince of Darkness. And uh, The Last Emperor was another one that he did. Um, he's still acting uh, up until 2018. I'm seeing him in a lot of stuff. I, I don't know. I felt like, I feel like watching this, he should have, like, he should have taken off more. And I don't know why he didn't. Yeah, I agree. I, I really do. Um, and it's surprising because he was literally my favorite part of this movie. Yeah, I mean, he, he's he's a good character. Yeah, the dialogue is silly, but all the dialogue in this movie is silly. Every Everything is. But he he had a, a good presence about him. I don't know. Uh, he's only got 27 acting credits. Maybe he just did more stage work or went in a different direction. I don't know. Um yeah, but also, you know, you get in, do your work, and if you're not feeling it anymore, just kind of do some small things to pay some bills and get out. True. Uh, I do want to mention some of the costumes because we talked about the Three Storms and, and the Raiden look, um, but those giant uh, wicker hats that they wore, I mean, that's a, that's a look. That's an interesting thing. I found out how to make one. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I'm not going to put the time into it, but literally researched it and was like, yep, I could do that, but I'm not gonna. Uh, that's too many hours I don't have to, to put in. Man, do I want one. Oh, I know, because that's such a, a unique look with that size of hat and the fact that they like... It, you could literally, it would have been perfect for the pandemic because literally people would be six feet away from you. Oh, yeah. How big that, that, that helmet is. <laughs> And you can see through it. You don't have to. You don't have to look up all the time. Uh, right. So that was good. Jack's shirt, that tank top that he wears with whatever is printed on that. Now that has become a bit of a cult item. I want one. But as much as I like that, I like his boots better. His boots are so good. His boots are amazing. I, and I, I agree. Like when I first watched it, I, I went to Amazon. I was like, okay, cool. I can get that tank top for like twenty bucks. But those boots. I need those boots. I know. I don't even, like, I don't I wear boots that much. You know, nope. it's mostly like chucks yep. or maybe some vans. But, man, would I wear the heck out of those boots if I had those every day? Absolutely. Just new boot, new boot goofing all over the place, <laughs> no matter what time of day it is. Now, one of the things with this movie that is weird is the story is kind of all over the place. And then I think about it, and it's like, but the story doesn't really matter. Like in the end, this is one of those movies where it just sort of feels like a collection of scenes loosely tied together at best. But for some reason, that works. And that doesn't always work in a movie. You know what I mean? And maybe that's kind of getting to that whole, you know, D&D campaign that you were mentioning. But, But also... The pacing, you're right, it works completely. I mean, even with David Lopin going out and then still having to deal with the other storms, it didn't feel like they were rushing it, right? Right. Um, the, the one noticed that uh, Pan was down and decided to uh, turn into a creature from Little Nightmares. <laughs> yes. Like, if you've ever played Little Nightmares, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, the guy turned into a food slobbins. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and those special effects were great. Oh, that was so um, good. Really good. And then, um, you know, with the pacing with with Raiden as they're having a quote-unquote chase scene out, and uh, the one way to get rid of him is just <laughs> throw a statue. <laughs> <laughs> it was 
Toy Story saw to his head. I, I, you know, I guess those helmets are only for aesthetic looks. Yeah. They don't really have any protection. <laughs> but, um, man, I just I, – I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I was going to. And it was weird because I had this moment that I actually connected with was when they were about to go into the final fight and they're having that cocktail mm-hmm. before they go into it. And he's like, what's in it? What's in it? It doesn't matter what's in it. Just just drink that. Yes. Um, it's funny because every year at Dragon Con, um, after my, my show does their live show, we have fans just come up and give us alcohol that they've made. <laughs> and everyone's always like, what are you doing, you psychopath? Why would you drink that? You have no idea. It's like, well, no. It makes me feel good, and it makes me invincible and can fight in the air. Like, I'm definitely going to keep drinking that. And it was funny to watch it from, like, a third-person point of view where I was just like, oh, is that what I look – oh, that's exactly <laughs> what I look like. Okay. Yeah, I can see how that's a bad idea now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, okay. But, but, oh, man, I loved it. It was really really a, a, an eye-opening moment that I will learn nothing from once we get back to Atlanta. <laughs> In, uh, in Labor Day. Well, and that that moment is the microcosm of the movie. It's like, what's in the drink? Doesn't matter. Just drink it. What, what's the movie about? It doesn't matter. Just watch it. Right? You're, you're not wrong. It doesn't matter what the movie's about. It's about uh, dexterity should be your dumps, uh, your main stat. And, yes. Uh, nothing else matters. Dexterity and charisma. Everything else you can just make a dump stat. That's fine. That's right. Because that's that's all Jack Burton has. It's just a ton of charisma and, and piercing blue eyes. He does have Kurt Russell's eyes. Let's... That's right. Yes, they are some amazing boots. Now, it's just, at the end of the day, this movie is fun. It's fun. It doesn't take itself seriously. And it it really is like a perfect cult classic. So I'm really glad you finally got to see it. And that you gave it a second chance and liked it. (laughs) That's the big one. I had to, right? I I, I was tasked to watch a movie. Um, No matter if I liked it the first time, I was always going to watch it the second time. But I'm, I'm glad that I did put... Uh, two two views in and, and had a revelation on it because I was really, like I said, upset with myself for not enjoying it the first time through. Here's a question for you. Sure. Could they make a sequel to this now and still have it work? So I've wrestled with this a lot over the years. Um, at one, there, there had been talk of it uh, a lot at so- certain points. Um, I'm going to say no. And I'm going to say no because this movie is wonderfully self-contained. Yes, it has the open-endedness of like Jack goes back out on the road, right? And he's back in the Pork Chop Express. And you could have him, you, you could have the continuing adventures of Jack Burton, sure. But trying to recreate what this movie did, I just don't think it could work. There's there's like a, a weird secret sauce where you need... You need mid-80s John Carpenter and his sensibilities. And you need uh, uh, somebody with the charisma of a Kurt Russell. Like, <clears throat> okay, if you were going to do this today, yep. right, this uh, Jack Burton is probably played by Chris Pratt. Like, uh, unfortunately, you're right. That's, that's probably who you get. Now, that's not bad because he can pull that off. But it's going to be a different type of Jack Burton from mid-80s Kurt Russell. I'm gonna pick. Okay, so I though I agree with you, I am gonna make a couple statements. Okay. Blade Runner. If Blade Runner 2049 didn't work, I would agree with you. Mm. But Blade Runner 2049 works so perfectly oh. 
and and literally is the best movie that nobody watched. So, um, yeah, I was one of those people until just recently. A few months ago, I finally fixed that problem. Uh, J.F. Oh, DeBeau man. pretty much forced oh, me to watch it. Yes. Yeah, he he was like, no, a, we're. He's such a wonderful human. <laughs> he he is, and he made me watch Blade Runner twenty forty nine, and I thank him on a regular basis for that because it's that good. And you know what? I, I you're right. If that movie didn't work the way that it does, I would 100% say you could never make Big Trouble. Now, you get the right people. The other part of it, though, is I don't know if I want a sequel to this. I got more. Right? Oh, you've got more. Oh, well, yeah. bring it. Taika. Oh, shit. You magnificent you have, bastard. You have, you have <laughs> Taika write and direct this. Because he already said that this movie influenced him for Thor Ragnarok. Oh. <sighs> Yeah, so, and I can absolutely yeah. see that. So if you have Taika write a sequel for, for Big Trouble in Little China, I think it could work. Now, look, I literally, before we went and recorded the show, was upstairs yelling at my roommate that he's an idiot and there's no way that they could make a sequel to this. <laughs> and, and I like, I will, thankfully, he doesn't listen to podcasts because I will never tell him that he, <laughs> he might be that I came up with a good idea on the show tonight. But yeah, Taika. And you don't even have to have Chris Pratt as your lead. No, you don't. That was just the first name that popped into my head. (laughs) Uh, I'm seeing I'm seeing Chris Hemsworth and Chris Evans uh, named. Those are those are names that could work too. Where I go, you know, when when I think of Taika, and you think of literally, if you saw those pictures of Thor uh, right now, holy cripes, arms, man. Uh, but yes, you would have uh, Hemsworth be the, the, the Jack Burton character completely uh, because he can do that, like we're talking about, that, that confident idiot. You know what? Yeah. So well. Because I'm thinking about, I'm thinking of Chris Hemsworth in, in this movie's divisive, I understand, but Ghostbusters, uh, which I, I didn't hate that movie. And Hemsworth was fun in that, but he's playing kind of dumb. And. I, I unfortunately never got to get around to Ghostbusters, the new one. Um, but, I mean, it, 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 Ghostbusters 2 was not great, people. Like, let's not forget that... Uh, oh, no, Ghostbusters you're, you're right. Uh, you want to talk about ruining franchises. Like, you still have <laughs> your back franchises. A new movie doesn't change your memories of, of the old film. So knock it off, everybody. But I heard that Hemsworth in that movie is, is wonderful. Yeah, I mean, he... I could see him... I would probably... Now... You would have the Hemsworth of today, right? He would be jacked like he is, even though Phil brings up, you know, you don't want a physical Superman Uh, to an extent. But like even Kurt Russell, he worked out a lot prior to to making this so that his arms would look good in the in the tank top. But But I I think that would work. Like if you have like a super, super jacked like Hemsworth, right? But he's just terrible at hand to hand combat. Yes. like, I think that's even funnier if he's just not comfortable with, with properly throwing a punch or, or throwing a boot knife. Or how to shoot a MAC-10, because yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was great. Michael B. Jordan is another name that's come up. I could see that work. Oh, that that could work really, really well. Michael B. Jordan would be perfect. Oh, and, then, and I'll watch him in anything, so. Oh, yeah, um, 100%. All right, I'm, I'm coming on to the, the bandwagon now. Let's do it. Let's, let's get Taika. And Taika, you got to make this movie. I, I know he listens to the show, so I'll, I'll send yeah. him a. I'll send him a letter. I'll, there you I'll go. Handwrite a letter. Yes. Oh, perfect. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I could see it. Like for the longest time, I didn't want that. But you bringing that name up 
and, and that put that idea in my head because you're right. Like it, it takes the right person to do it. Um, because this was just such like a perfect amalgamation of things. Um, Edgar Wright, maybe I could see that. Cause again, I will watch anything Edgar Wright does. Oh, Edgar Wright's such a good name. Oh, Phil, Phil rude. Man, Phil. That's, that's good. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good pick. You know, uh, Edgar Wright is the one who has written the best, uh, and perfect Marvel movie that never came out. So, uh, yeah, although his his fingerprints were all over Ant Man, like sure. If you're an Edgar Wright fan, you you notice his contributions. But <laughs> I would watch it. I really would. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm on board. Let Let's. Uh, I mean, hell, they're gonna make a Highlander uh, reboot finally. So why don't we get a, a a continuation? It doesn't even have to be necessarily Jack Burton. Um, you know, or 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 tied to this version of Jack Burton in any way. Like, you don't no, have do, to have that. No, 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 you're, you're right. Um, I mean, it's just a name, right? I mean, do what they did with uh, Mad Max, right? Just yeah, yeah, yeah. Just literally recast it, never mention uh, anything about really the past series and just put it in this weird universe. Or, okay, all right. Uh, first of all, what job would modern-day, um, the, the modern-day version of Jack Burton have that would he be an over the road trucker or would he have something different going on? Um, <laughs> he would be, uh, he would be working in, uh, an up and coming VR company that, um, that takes your landscape outside. But then once you put the helmet on, they can show you what they can do with your yard space. Okay. All right. Or, um, he's, uh, the pushing a new cryptocurrency. Ooh, Okay, that's that's relevant and that would work. Now, yep. here here's how you tie the movie together. Is you get Kurt Russell to record something as the Pork Chop Express that is heard like a podcast that the main character is listening to. Is this podcast of the Pork Chop Express and it's just Jack Burton doing what he would have done on the CB radio for like half an hour every week. <laughs> All right. So first off, there was, there used to be a podcast called the Orc Chop Express, <laughs> which would have been perfect uh, for for this since it is a D and D campaign. But you are not wrong because, like, he's talking into his CB like he's uh, Hunter S. Thompson talking <laughs> yes. into a handheld radio as he's driving down, you know, to to Las Vegas. Like that's what I was getting. Like a. He's, yes, he's Alex Jones. Got it. He's the new Alex Jones <laughs> of uh, of CB and ham radio only. Like, it's the only way you can get it. Now, this movie for me, I have clips from this movie. I have to play some of these because this movie is, is endlessly quotable. And I realized some of these I knew that I did already. There's other quotes and, and moments from this movie that I forgot that I, like, are part of my personal lexicon. Um, so some of these I got to play. I'm going to start with Jack because Jack Burton is like the most quotable character in just about any movie period. This one I use a lot. And what I like about it is it's a version of saying this, that when you hear it out of context, it's like, what is it? I don't, I don't get it. Like, I don't get why you would ever say these words this way. Son of a bitch must pay. <laughs> I just love that delivery. <laughs> Three times during the movie? Uh, that was no. It's really the only no, one. Is it only once? Yeah, it's only the one time. But it feels like he it, says it, it a lot. Reson it resonated with me because I, I yep. 
So that's like, that's my thing now. When somebody like, if I'm driving and I don't get road rage, but if somebody cuts me off or they pull out in front of me or something, that's all I say. And exactly, exactly that way is son of a bitch must pay. Um, so no, I work in farmers markets, so I'm going to be using that on the retail side of it. Yes. Oh, did my husband pay yet? No, but that son of a bitch must pay. <laughs> um, no, the one he said three times was. It's all in the reflexes. That was yep. that was his his thing. Um, I love his confidence in himself. Everybody relax. I'm here. That's one I I say, and I completely forgot I said that. Like. When I come into a room, I'm just like, all right, everybody relax. I'm here. It's pretty good. Um, ah, you know what old Jack Burton always says at a time like this? Who? Jack Burton. Me. <laughs> like you just can't believe people don't know who he is. Um, Star-Lord, man. Yes. Who? And that's probably why, why uh, Chris Pratt's name came into my head uh, so yeah. quickly. Um, I just like this line. I don't know why. And so now I have a clip of it. Is this going to get ugly now? Is, I, can, I can work that in somewhere. Yeah, 100%. Um, what was this one? Have you paid your dues, Jack? Yes, sir. The check is in the mail. Now, that is one I do use a lot. Yes, sir. And, that, and there's your, your little yes. bit of John Wayne going on there. Yeah, the right. check is That's in the mail. That's what little, little twanginess on mm-hmm. the way that he was saying that. Yeah, the, when he's talking to the CB, like, it, it really reminded me of like this Hunter S. Thompson almost – 80s John Cusack kind of swarm. Oh yeah, yeah. Kind of, uh, you know, cooler than cool. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. I have never heard this phrase, except in this movie, spoken this way. Nothing or double. Nothing or double. Oh, oh, I hate. Oh, I hated it. I hated it the first time. I hated it the second time. My OCD, like, even though I have, uh, uh yeah. You know, uh, weird talking patterns and, and uh, dyslexia. Like even my brain couldn't switch that the way it was supposed to be. Like n- nothing or double. Yeah, and he says it like three times in succession, and at the end of the movie, it's nothing or triple, and he hands him the check, and which is a great moment. Where he's like, "You earned it," and, and Jack's just like, "Yeah, you're right, I did." Yeah, yeah, yes, I <laughs> but did. yeah, nothing or double for whatever reason that just like. What is, I don't even, I don't know. I've never. Yeah, what if we start using it just to make everybody else around us angry? Hmm. I like the way you think. Yeah. I like the way you think. That's, that's not bad. Um, I, I just like this exchange because you have the, the, uh, the old uncle character who kind of is to, to steal a phrase from uh film sack, the chick in the bucket, which is the chick in the bucket from film sack is a character or something that just sort of disappears and you never is never resolved. No, and, no conclusion. Yeah, and Wang's uncle, who kind of runs the restaurant, was that character in this. Like he just, after a certain point, never shows up again. But I love this exchange because it's just like, it was almost like the movie's like, oh yeah, remember this character is still in the room. Was gonna join Lemley in the hell of being cut to pieces. Hell of being what? Chinese have a lot of hell. And what the hell is Gracie Law doing here? <laughs> <laughs> but literally. What the hell is she doing here? I know. Why did she show up? I don't get it. Um, uh, oh, Lopan. Indeed. That's. Oh, uh. God, they're my favorite. I th- like, <laughs> as soon as I was done watching it, I found a soundboard. And I've just been playing these, these <laughs> sound yes. effects. Annoying everybody around me. Oh, it's so good. Um, here's another one of those moments where they poke fun, like, the movie making fun of itself. 
thinking. I mean, I must just be so monumentally naive. You are. <laughs> um, and oh, this was the one I mentioned earlier where in the middle of it, the camera shot goes to Gracie Law. She's literally rolling her eyes because, and this one's a little bit long, but. You mean the David Lopan that's chairman of the National Orient Bank and owns the Wing Kong Import-Export Trading Company, but who's so reclusive that no one's even laid eyes on this guy in years? Who the hell are you anyway? <laughs> Let me tell you all the information you need for act three of this movie and <laughs> yeah. go. Yep. Oh, um, okay. Two more. One is, uh, no horseshit, Jack. That's, that's one I use a lot too. Um, right. okay. I'm going to play this. I want you to tell me what you hear because I have no idea. And that, that's what the title of this one was is no idea. Tell me what you hear. I'll, I'll play it one more time. Please. Um, I'm pretty sure that's from Gremlins 1 when they uh, get thrown into uh, the pool real quick, right? Or the fountain at the end? Uh, noise? Yeah, no, that's Lopan. Oh, okay. That was, he said that when he, after they stabbed the, the um, thing in the head. The, the beholder. Yeah, the beholder. Uh, he looks over and sees them there, and he makes that noise. I don't know what I don't even know what he was trying to say. It sounds like a Michael Jackson noise. <laughs> kicking, <laughs> kicking his foot and grabbing his crotch, and just says, <laughs> as he moonwalks up the escalator. Yes. Yeah, basically. Um, oh man, I thought I had one other one, and I don't. So that's those are clips, but there's so many fun like moments in this movie. It's really one that you should sexy narf. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's now the only thing I'm going to hear is it does kind of sound like Rob Paulson doing that voice. Sexy narf was the name of my punk band in high school. (laughs) Oh, this is a movie though. I'm glad you got to see it and. And now you can help spread the word and get more people to watch it that haven't. Literally, because... Travis, I'm the only person in the world who has <laughs> never seen this movie. Uh, you know, what you're setting me up for is a trap. Hey, guys, have you ever heard of this movie, Big, Chi- Big Trouble in Little China? Well, yeah, dude, it's 35 years old. <laughs> So are you. How have you not heard about this movie? You just got to oh. find the right circle of people, right? You're not going to do that at Dragon Con because it's, anybody yeah, that shows no. up at Dragon Con has seen this movie. You're right. I'm excited to go into my kids' uh, kindergarten class <laughs> and spread the good word of Jack Burton to the unknowing, uh, you know, uh, masses of the Montessori school. <laughs> <laughs> what? And you had mentioned uh, cosplaying. Um, from this movie and and what i like about it is it's a very easy cosplay to do if you can find them damn boots if you can find those boots you're you're set no or I, there's no way i'm gonna be able to do enough cardio to look like uh, <laughs> to look like jack Burton. now look i can get my hair uh, feathered out like that pretty pretty good and if not i've got that wig right behind me perfect work perfectly uh i ain't running i ain't run- that's why i do doughy characters for cosplay <laughs> Well, no, you just Bob from Bob's Burgers. I do Mario pretty well. Uh, I've got some uh, plans for for this year to see how that goes. I'm not running for nothing, Travis. No, no, no. You do Jack Burton from like 10 years after this movie. (laughs) Right. Yes. He all he's done is just he's driven. He hasn't had another adventure since the the show, you know, the big trouble in little China. 
No, I'm not of, doing uh, showdown in Little Tokyo, Phelan. Instead of uh, my CB, I just walk around with this megaphone. Yes. Uh, shouting my nonsense <laughs> at people. Just tell them all your pearls of wisdom. Yeah. Oh. It doesn't matter what's in the drink. Drink it. <laughs> Well, Phil, this has been awesome. Uh, this has been a, a ton of fun. I'm so glad that you got to see this. I'm so glad that you enjoyed it. Um, I do worry when I show people a new movie, especially something that's a cult classic like this, is it going to hit form or not? So uh, it always makes me feel good when, when the conversation can go to all the fun things that we're in, what we're watching. Um, well, I, I want to thank you, Travis, because uh, you, you reached out to me and asked if I wanted to come on. And uh, literally I said, yeah, once I get home from work, I'll take a look at all your lists. Here's the two movies right off the top of my head. And just like that, we had Big Trouble in Little China. So uh, it's been fun. Tonight's been great. Um, yeah. and, and, and really, uh, thank you for doing literally the one job that all of my <laughs> best friends could not have me do. Well, I you know, when you're good, you're good. And that's right. And, and that's the thing. Now, you do, you, we've mentioned uh, a couple of things that you work on. But where, where can people find stuff that you're doing? Because you do so, quite a bit. Used to. I, I've now tailored back my schedule. Um, I'm now just literally streaming on Imaginary Nomad. That's on. Uh, you can follow me there on Twitch, Twitter, and Instagram with a one. Snapchat, MySpace, and OnlyFans at Imaginary Nomad. There you go. Um, every Sunday night, I stream on the Imaginary Nomad. I do Philip Scared Stupid, which is me playing horror games. Uh, the people that support me over at Patreon.com/slash the Imaginary or slash Imaginary Nomad. They pick the games that I play. I hate horror games. And right now we're in the middle of the village. And thankfully, since I'm on Travis's show today, I don't have to stream tonight. Even though <laughs> they could hit me up on my Discord and tell me, no, there's still enough playable hours in the day. Get on stream. So we might stream tonight after we get done here. I'm not sure. Monday night, 8.30 p.m. Eastern is twitch.tv slash botchpodcast. Uh, we do botched films or play community games over there every Monday night. Uh, Botched Films is where we take a deep dive into the seedy underbelly that is Prime Streaming and kind of do a Mystery Science Theater stream on top of it. I know this, what, tomorrow they'll be doing Reign of Fire. Ooh. Uh, I won't be there, but they picked Reign of Fire, so thankfully I get to miss that. And then Tuesday nights, same channel, twitch.tv slash botchpodcast, is, uh, is our live show, which is an improv D&D show. The way that I pitch it to people is that it's kind of like South Park meets Game of Thrones, not because we tell uh, long stories about exciting adventures. Uh, we're more like Game of Thrones because all your favorite characters will die for no reason. <laughs> it is a not-safe-for-work stream. There are a lot of... I, I can't believe people still listen because of some of the stuff that we say. <laughs> but uh, if you want to support us over there, do so over on Twitch or at patreon.com slash botchpodcast. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Now, uh, I record this show Sunday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern time at twitch.tv slash TV's Travis. And then uh, I, I take the recording and I put it out as a podcast on Wednesdays. You can get that at tvstravis.com um, because I gave it a horrible name for any kind of SEO with like, you know, ellipses and question marks. And it's terrible to search for. If you do listen to the show and you're, you're getting it through something like Apple Podcasts, leaving a, a review and a rating helps make the show more discoverable. Um, because I did such a terrible job of naming it. So if you could do that, I would greatly appreciate it. Or just send people hey, to TV Stratus. Do the work for me. Thank you. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I'm 117 episodes in now. I can't change it. So <laughs> I'm married to this. Um, 
But, uh, and, and if you can spread it word of mouth, that helps too. I, I, I really love doing this and, um, there probably is going to be some Patreon or some sort of way to, to help kind of, uh, keep the show going. I'm going to keep doing the show no matter what, but the more help I can get, the, the better I can do this show. So be watching for that. Uh, you can also find me Twitter, uh, or any social media network really. Um, I just recently installed TikTok for reasons unknown. Uh, I haven't posted anything yet. I was going to post. So another, another show that I've started, uh, and all those social medias, I'm TV's Travis, TVS Travis. Um, another show that I just recently started with Steven, um, from two dorks and Jacob is we're doing a show called side quests and we're doing weekly challenges. And this week was our, um, culinary world tour. So I thought, oh, that'd be a perfect use of, of TikTok. I can do little videos uh, as I'm cooking whatever it is. And then because it's 95 degrees outside and it's like 87 degrees in my house right now, I have fans. I have like four fans running trying to circulate air. So I was like, well, I can't record anything upstairs because it's just terrible. And thankfully, my studio is in a basement. So it's tolerable down here. Um Mine is not. Uh, I wear this hat so you can't see how sweaty I am. Yeah, well, I, I am not smart enough to do that tonight. But at any rate, uh, if you do enjoy this show um, and you want to join the live stream on Sundays and be like Diana and Phil Rude and Phelan and Danny Ora and Forging Winton, I love seeing people in the chat. I love the chat moving uh, and, and, and people throwing out ideas. Um, so I, I really, as and Nisbet uh, gets to come in and torment me and, and keep bugging me to watch the West Wing. Which, yeah, you're the first person to say don't watch it. Nah, it was just the funny thing. Six feet under instead. <laughs> um, but yeah, now next week I have uh, I have Gerald from Two Peas on a Podcast coming on. We're gonna watch because he's never seen it before. Stir of Echoes. Um, if you haven't seen that movie, that's a fun uh, Kevin Bacon late '90s kind of horror thriller. So I'm looking forward to it because, damn it, I love that movie. And Gerald, being a horror fan that he is hasn't seen this. So as soon as I heard that, I was like, I couldn't get a hold of him fast enough. So this should be a fun one. Um, that's going to be next week. And I got some more fun movies coming up. Uh, I'm going to be talking about the crow soon. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to finally watch book of Eli coming up. Uh, I think the beginning of July. So Tom Waits is in that, right? Yeah. Yep. That's how I pick movies that I watch. Is Tom Waits in it? Yes. I'll see it. Yeah. Perfect. I loved him in mystery men. Yes, the inventor. Like, yeah, yeah, he's probably my favorite part of that movie. Him and um, him and Jeffrey Rush are my favorite yep. parts of that movie. Agreed. Uh, I will defend Mystery Men. Oh, I will too. No, I, I yeah. like that movie. Um, so yeah, that's what's kind of coming up uh, soon. So until next week, and uh, and I watch um, and I make Gerald watch Stir of Echoes. Uh, Phil, thank you. This has been a pleasure. You're welcome back anytime. We'll find another movie you haven't seen. We'll, we'll we'll get you some more. I've already done Predator. I've done Die Hard, but I haven't done Commando yet. I haven't done some well, other 80s movies. Here's something, because I want to ask you, I already have a second movie to come back with. Oh. Um, I thought about it while I was playing guitar before we started. Have you ever seen Hedvig and the Angry Inch? I have not. I've heard Good. of it. Um, you will be. The okay. next time you have me on. Okay. That's what we'll be watching. It's one of my favorite, uh, not only musicals, but also one of my favorite movie adaptations of a screenplay uh, or a, a Broadway play. It's literally my favorite thing. And uh, as I was upstairs playing on the guitar, I was like, well, I should have brought this. But <laughs> that's for the next time. All right. Well, there we go. Now we'll just have to figure out scheduling for it. You, you heard it here first, everybody. Hedwig, Hedwig and the Angry Inch, right? Inch? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. 
So until next week and stir of echoes, uh, remember to enjoy your movies. And world is weird, but it's getting better, I guess. So let's be excellent to each other. All right. That really pisses me off to no end. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>